be with James now as he brings this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. 1992 marked a big change in our culture. We saw uh, something important disappear. I've got a picture of it here, if we can get to it. Next one. That disappeared, right? The McDonald's fried pie. McDonald's said that people were calling for healthier alternatives, so they switched to a, a baked pie. Now, if you're going to McDonald's for healthier alternatives, I'm not sure you're on the right path anyway, but I haven't met these people who wanted to get rid of that with a fake baked alternative. Because if you've ever, you know, bitten into that crispy fried crust and scalded your mouth on the filling within, you really haven't lived. So those of you who can't remember 1992, you missed the beginning of the downfall of Western civilization. But it's okay, all right? It is weird how things change, right? And, and how things, very small and insignificant, but, but bigger things. Big things that change in our lives, in our culture, can unsettle us, can make us feel instability. And I want us to think about that for the next few weeks in this series that I'm calling Unstable, or really stable. How do we find stability in the midst of the instability that's around us? And it comes in all different kinds of forms. I mean, there are things that are at work in our culture that we don't understand and don't like, don't even like to think about. We don't like to think about sending our kids to school and worrying about their safety there. For many of us, we never had to imagine that when we were going to school. We don't want to think about that. Maybe you're in a place where a political party you really identified with has moved so drastically that you don't feel at home there anymore and it unsettles you. You look at the moral decline in our country and you think, wow, this is just not the way it used to be and it is unsettling to you as well. You see racial strife at work in our culture and think, shouldn't we be beyond that by now? And yet we're not. And all this unsettles us. So as followers of Jesus, how do we find stability in the midst of instability that surrounds us, that may frighten us, that may really make us question everything that's going on around us? How, how do we get through that? Today, I want to begin a series in which we're going to talk about just that. And, and we have to find a place to start. And I want us to start with what I believe is the most important component of finding stability in an unstable culture. And in fact, after we finish today, we're going to build everything that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks on what we talk about today, on what we learn from Scripture today. So this is the most important thing, and everything else is built on that. So to get at that, I want us to start today actually at the, the end of the Bible. We're going to look in the book of Revelation. Now, Maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in Revelation. Maybe you have. If you've got your Bible, it's easy to find. It is the last book. And when you hear that, some people are like, man, I've been waiting on this. I couldn't wait for James to actually talk about Revelation. We need to spend about 15 week, weeks exploring it, but we're not going to do that, okay? We're going to spend just today and move on to another passage next week. Or maybe when you hear Revelation, you're thinking, that stuff is weird and it scares me and I just as soon avoid it. Well, I think some people do have that reaction. And maybe some of you are going, Revel what? What are we even talking about? Okay, it's Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and it is a little mysterious, right? I mean, if you read Revelation from beginning to end, there are parts that you'll go, okay, I get that. And there are parts that you'll go, I have no idea what he is talking about here. And it's because this is a vision, 
a vision given by God to a man named John of things that in some ways are indescribable. So John has to take this vision of what he's seeing and then use some symbols and metaphors and all kinds of language to help us understand something that really is beyond full human comprehension. So we can't come to Revelation and say, okay, this is like a a news media report of everything that John saw. Because it wasn't that simple. Sometimes we wonder, is John seeing something that was happening then or something that was going to happen in the future? Even that seems a little uncertain at times in Revelation. So it's not a news media account. It's a lot of symbols that we're trying to really get at what John was seeing. We also can't read Revelation and go, okay, what John saw 2,000 years ago was about 21st century America. And you know what? I see a lot of preachers who have that approach. It's like they forget that 2,000 years have passed and that Christians have been looking at this book all of that time and finding meaning there. And we want to say it just has to do with us today. And so they look at those symbols and see all kinds of things going on in the world. And you know what? I can remember 40 years ago when people were saying the same things about the 80s and interpreting those symbols as the Soviet Union and everything else under the sun. And none of that really happened. So I think what we need to do is to take this sort of mysterious, in some ways a little weird account that we find at the end of our Bibles and say, what does this say about God? And what does this say about the way God is at work in the world? And so that's the way I try to approach Revelation and how we're going to approach this passage that we find in Revelation chapter 4 today. Now, as you look at Revelation, you have an introductory chapter. Then you have two chapters that contain letters from from Jesus to seven churches in the Roman province of Asia, which we would call Turkey. And they're really pretty easy to understand. And in fact, they deal with problems that the churches were having in the first century, but ultimately problems that churches have been having ever since. So they're pretty easy to apply. And then we come to chapter 4 in which John has this vision of the throne room of God. Okay? So clearly if John is describing heaven itself, God's throne, this is something that's a little beyond our full comprehension. So we've got to take this all sort of with John's metaphor symbols and try to understand what he's getting at. So let's begin today Revelation chapter 4, and we're going to start in the middle of verse 6. He says this. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Okay, that starts off a little weird, right? You got these four creatures that surround God. Now, what we find is that if you go back all the way back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, who was a prophet who had similar visions, These four creatures show up in Isaiah's prophecy. Continuing verse 7. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. And the third had the face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Still a little weird, a little hard for us to understand. What are these creatures about? Do they represent something that we know? It's hard to tell. Now, early Christians thought that these four creatures represented the four gospel writers. And if you go to a church with a lot of stained glass pictures, mosaics and stuff, you will see this at work today. And I only say this so you'll know it when you see it. 
that they will identify one of the gospel writers with each one of these creatures. So Matthew is usually the one with the human face, and then Mark with the lion, Luke with the ox, and then John with the eagle. So if you see that, you'll know what it's, it means. That's an aside. But is that really what John is talking about? I have no idea. I just know what these creatures are doing is what really interests me, and that's what we read next. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Apparently all seeing is what he's saying, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying this. And listen to what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now the first part of that we find in Isaiah as well. So John is is saying, listen, what I'm seeing is similar to what we already have in the Bible. But what does it say? That, that this God, first of all, is holy. Not just holy, but three times holy. That he is pure and righteous and everything about him is consistent and good. This is the God that we worship. Holier than anything else. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. More powerful than any other being. This is God himself, the God who is the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and is mighty in power. And then, who was and is and is to come. Now, I think that's key for us. When John says God was, that means from the very beginning, God's been at work. In fact, what he's saying is God is eternal in both directions. And so God always has been. A few weeks ago, we talked about the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1, the other end of our Bibles. And we talked about the fact that God had pre-existed all of that. And we don't really know much about what God was doing before creation. We just know that he existed then, that he was at work even then. And what strikes me is a God who existed before anything that we know Anything that we can see was in existence. God was there. Man, God is not threatened by what's going on here today. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care because I believe he does. God sees human suffering and he cares about that. But he's not threatened by the forces at work today because he's already seen it all. You know, this week I read about an olive tree that's, that's been alive for 2,000 years, still bearing olives. Maybe you saw a picture of that in the news. You think about a tree that was alive at the time of Jesus and all that's happened in those years. God preexisted that. Preexisted it all the way back to the beginning of creation, countless years before that. And then beyond that, God existed. We can count on this God who is eternal in the past, but is also present now. And so this God that we worship is active among us. He's not a God who just created and sort of lets things unfold and whatever happens, happens, and it just is what it is. This is a God who in Scripture is active in the present, that cares about the people who he has created, that listens to them when they pray, that, that might even change his actions because of what's going on in their lives. That's what we see in Scripture. This is the kind of God who cares about us and and is active with you, with me, right now, even in this room. 
the God who was, who is, regardless of what's going on in our world, we can count on the fact that God is still at work and is to come. God's not going to disappear. Just because things are bad on the face of the earth right now doesn't mean that somehow God is gone. It doesn't mean that God is less powerful. God is still there. He is here now, and he always will be, whatever happens here. Now, when I think about that, the God who was and is and is to come, in relation to our sense of instability, to me, these are the key truths that give us firm ground to take the next step on. Because as, as unsettling as everything around us may be, what, what John is telling us is that this God is present in all of it. And, and as much as we may not understand some things that we're facing, what we can count on is the fact that God is there with us. Now we're going to come back to that, but I want to finish sort of this thought. So let's pick up in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. You think John wants to remind us that God is going to be present forever? He's told us three times now. It seems to matter. And who are these 24 elders? I don't know. Some say maybe we have a combination of the 10 tribes of Israel, the, ten, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, maybe. I'm not sure. But what matters is this. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say this. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy. We get our word worship because we ascribe worthiness to God. That's exactly what's going on here. This is the very heart of worship. We just sang about that. It is giving God his worth. And these creatures are worshiping God because he is powerful. And the way they see God's power at work is in creation. They look around at what they see and and because it is all made by God. And when I think about this and how John would have understood that, and think about how much more we know about the, the universe that surrounds us now, about how much more vast it is than John could have ever known, an even greater God seems to show himself in that. But what do we learn from this? As I think about this vision of God's throne room and all these creatures worshiping God, in the face of all the uncertainty that we're dealing with, it seems to me that the lesson is that God was, is, and always will be. So whatever it is that we're facing today, and maybe we're looking in our culture and it seems unsettling and uncertain, or maybe we're looking at something more personal, and that's unsettling or an and uncertain as well. God is still present, eternal in both directions, past and future, and active in us now. And I don't think there's anything more important than that speaks to our uncertainty, our instability, than that fact. And it's everything else that we're going to build on that one fact that we worship this God 
who was, who is, who always will be. Now I think there's some ways that we can put that to work and some ways that we can think it through that help us deal with the instability around us. And the first is this. God is not dependent on our power structures. What I mean by that is this. In our lives, there are some things that we just assume are always going to be there, right? Some things that make us feel secure. One of them is our nation. I mean, we're part of this one nation. We are citizens of the United States of America, and, and that makes us feel secure. There's some things that come with that. There's some history. Maybe there's some pride. Maybe there's some security. And all those things make us feel good about this place, right? It makes us feel secure, that we can count on that. God is greater than that. Maybe it's a politician. Maybe it's a political party. Maybe it's something a little different from that. Maybe it's a corporation that you work for that makes you feel secure. Maybe it's some organization. Maybe it's your family or even a local church. All of those things can make us feel secure in the face of instability. But what we find is, if we look at this God who always was, who is and who always will be, we find that nations and powers and alliances have come and gone. And we find that corporations and economies and financial institutions have come and gone. Organizations of all types, even local churches and families and certainly lives, have come and gone. And even though those things may make us feel secure, God is greater than all of those things. And it might be that some of them disappear. And that will make us feel really insecure. And I'm not prophesying about any of that. I'm just saying that's part of history. But even in the face of that, God was, God is, God always will be. And that's what gives us real security. I mean, the people of Israel had to grapple with this. They, they, they were God's chosen people, called out of Egypt to be a people. And there was one thing that represented in the first century what it meant to be a Jew, and it was a building. It was a building in the city of Jerusalem, the temple. It was seen as the intersection of heaven and earth. This was the dwelling place of God. This represented everything that it was religiously, politically, racially to be a Jew in the first century. And in 70 AD, the Romans came in, desecrated it, and tore it down. And then the people who called themselves Jews had to grapple with, where's God? For Christians in early history, in the fourth century, Constantine declared that the Roman Empire was a Christian nation. And the emperors after him, many of whom were Christians. And then Rome fell. What about that? Everything that seemed so secure seemed backed by God. It's gone. How do you deal with that? Christians struggled. Christians have gained power and lost power. Structures have come and gone. And God is still the same, because he's greater than all of those things. God is not dependent on them. God is not dependent on our nation or any other nation for his greatness. God is not dependent on one local church for his greatness. God is not dependent on one human being for his greatness. 
He's beyond all that. And so when we put our focus on this one God who is always faithful, who was, who is, and always will be, that's a place to put our next step. That's the place to feel secure. So we have that. And then we also have to remember that God is present with us right now. God is active among this group of people right now. And that's important because there there are people in this room who are feeling some uncertainty, who are feeling some instability. Maybe it's because you look around in the culture and say, I don't understand this, I don't like it, I don't get it, and it makes me feel sort of weird. Okay. Or maybe you're you're facing something more personal, like a health crisis. You or someone you love is facing a diagnosis that's still a little uncertain. You're not sure where it's headed. And you feel like the ground's shaking beneath you. Or maybe there's a job that you don't know if it's going to be there six weeks from now, a year from now. You're worried about your financial health. Or maybe your, your marriage or your, your kids are, you know, it's just in a place that you were not expecting. It feels like things are falling apart. What are you going to do? Part of the message of Revelation is God was, he is, he always will be. He is at work in your life right now. And maybe God's not doing exactly what you want him to do right now. But one of the messages of the New Testament is whatever comes, whatever we face, we are not in it alone because God is present with us. We can count on God's presence. That's part of the message of this passage. And then finally, God has a plan. God's got a plan. If you read through the book of Revelation, you're going to find some things that surprise you, maybe scare you, seem a little weird, you don't understand. But if you read through that book, what you will find is that God is working towards something. Last couple chapters, you can see it at work. That that we're going to spend eternity praising God in His very presence. Won't need a temple, won't need a church building, won't need a preacher, won't need worship leaders. We'll just be praising God, singing these very songs. God's got something that he's working toward. This is not random. So we can have confidence. This God who was and is and who always will be is working toward man, an eternity where everything is secure we're going to spend our time praising this God who created us. So if you're facing that uncertainty, if you're looking around saying, wow, this just doesn't feel right and I don't know how to handle these things that are happening around me, whether it's something big or something maybe just in your life, the message is the same. God was God is, God always will be. And if we can count on that, we can build a sure foundation that leads to real stability because of this God. Let's pray together. Now, sometimes we do, we do look around and we just don't know what to do with what's happening around us. And it's a little scary and it's unsettling. But God, help us to depend on the truths of Scripture that we find about you and who you are and how you act. 
God, we want to put our faith in you. Give us the strength to do that. Give us the strength to trust you with everything that matters to us. God, we look forward to spending eternity with you. God, who always will be praising you. Pray it in Jesus' name.